Hello and welcome everybody to the Logistics Tribe podcast. I'm Boris Felgendreer, founder of the Logistics Tribe, and I'm extremely excited and honored to be able to present to you an episode that is hosted by Dana von der Heide, my co-host here at the Logistics Tribe. Her guest today is Jeppe Hoyer. Jeppe is partner at Maersk Growth, the VC arm of Maersk, the big, famous global logistics giant. They're investing heavily in the logistics tech startup scene, so having Jeppe come onto the show today and open up the kimono on Merck's investment activities in this area is a real treat. So, without further ado, here comes Dana's interview with Jeppe Hoyer. Welcome today. We have Jeppe Hoyer as our guest today. Very excited to have you. Um, um, most of you will probably know him. He's uh, known from the venture capital scene, not just in Denmark, but really all around Europe. Uh, he's uh, representing Mask, and I think he did a lot of interesting deals that we hopefully hear a little bit more about today. Welcome, Jeppe. Thank you so much, Dana. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure having you, really. I think there's barely anyone that can talk so well and knowledgeable about the startup scene going on here in Europe. And we hope, of course, to hear a lot about that from you. Uh, but I think maybe to kick things off, if you don't mind, give us a quick introduction about yourself and the role at Mask. Thank you so much. So I've luckily been in, uh, in venture for many years. Uh, I started with uh, Hardcore Capital. Uh, in Copenhagen back in 2007 as their CFO, uh, managed their funds up until 2016 and has been raised in the in the B2C uh, industry that Hardcore is investing in now. Uh, then in, in 2016, I decided to set sail uh, because I wanted to become uh, even closer to the investment and want to, to push that forward. Uh, so was part of, uh, of raising another Danish fund in, in 2016-17. Uh, and then I was uh, invited in to become a part of Maersk Growth in, in early 2018. Uh, the reason for me joining Maersk as a CVC was that I saw the uh, possibility to, to leverage everything that I had learned and built for Hardcore Capital into the corporate world. Uh, and, and this interest to see how you can really scale uh, startups with uh, with those two uh, things aligned. So so that is super interesting. Uh, now being part of uh, of Merce Growth, uh, the CBC having done twenty four investments now since we uh, we started investing in in mid twenty eighteen. Well, yeah, very interesting journey indeed. And I think uh, if many people hear Merce, mass, they think uh, shipping. Um, but you also said it already. We talk startup. We talk investment. We talk scaling. Uh, so what was it that, that attracted you to Mask and how do you see that, that Mask growing at the moment? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we leverage everything around Maersk, right? So the uh, the assets we have, the brand, the customers, the data, the expertise that are within Maersk in, in these early stage uh, companies that we invest in. So the growth part is is uh, is a little bit of a, a defocus area because we actually invest in seed and series A. And we invest in everything supply chain, uh, tying it into the Maersk integrator vision, right? We want to become an integrated part of uh, the supply chain we want to assist our customers in solving their uh, their problems and that is also why you see us investing in uh, in german companies like uh, forto uh, mm -hmm. like fleet but also even tying the supply chain even closer in, 
and, and doing uh, trade finance investments uh, such as as, uh, as modify with uh, Nelson Holzner and, and team right so it is everything around the supply chain that we are interested in it's even all the way to uh, digitization of documents that that is a core problem uh, from for most large customers right And maybe it was also one of the parts on um, Mass trying to digitalize themselves, innovate themselves. So maybe before we get started, uh, give us a bit more perspective on how the team is structured. Mass Growth, I saw there's uh, quite a lot of people working, uh, your partner there. There's also a support team I saw on the website. Yeah. Uh, how is the team structured? Yeah, so that, that, is, that is the cool part. Right? And I think there's a lot of CVCs that have set sail. Uh, to see what they can do. Uh, and I must say, the way we have structured most growth with a core team that is investing, uh, we are eight people on the investment side. Uh, and then we have what we call value creation on the side. Yeah. Value creation is the tie-in between our portfolio companies and the most core. Uh, they understand what is going on with the strategy in the core business and can do the matchmaking. Because when a, a Mickey Bax from uh, the MD of uh, a Fortu reaches out to me with a specific question around uh, the Musk Spot product, which is basically guaranteeing a, a space on a on a ship, then you know I cannot answer all the details of that, and that is where I can uh, can ask my value creation team to to assist uh, Mickey on that one. So I think that that is super interesting, right? I can focus on what I'm good at, the startup ecosystem, and then I have. A A designated team that comes mostly from Musk, uh, with a lot of experience from Musk, and, and can do this matchmaking. Yeah, and I think uh, people thinking of Musk uh, probably uh, don't know how wide you cast your net, your net basically, right? You just said it yourself. It's not just the core shipping, but it's all the facilitation around that. So probably a lot of people are very keen to also understand how this works together, right? Are you just investing in businesses that support the core business? How does the collaboration between businesses that you invest in and uh, the mothership, so to say, how does that work? Yeah, it, it works in many ways, right? I think we are looking for strategic investments with a huge potential financial upside. That is what we do. And ultimately solving for, for our customers' need. Uh, I think when we look at what we can do, we have done a lot of road freight forwarding, right? I think we have a lot of trucks moving around, most of them with containers on top. But we also do what, what is called full truck loads. Uh, we also own uh, 42 ports around the world uh, and have JVs with another 30. Uh, so that way we have a, a global footprint. We also own uh, a, a, a lot of warehouses, uh, especially performance team in, in North America uh, that has more than 10 warehouses where we also do a lot of, uh, of trucking in relationship to that. We own uh, companies that does uh, cross-border trading uh, and, and all the paperwork around it. So we have many areas and fields where, where we can assist Uh, and that is why it is so interesting to be part of, uh, of Merse growth uh, and seeing what the startup scene has to offer. And considering that Mask is so global, does that also mean that your investment have a very global reach or do you have a regional focus? I think your team is based in Denmark, right? Yeah. 
So we sit 15 people in Copenhagen. Uh, Maersk is a global uh, company and we have employees all over the world. Uh, we are actively uh, investing uh, in, in Europe and North America, but we will look at, at companies from all over the world. We have done uh, two investments in, in Australia, uh, one of them done with, uh, with Flash Ventures and, and GFC, Uh, because I do I do invest with trusted parties when it's outside of core geography, uh, but but we do have people on on ground in uh, in Copenhagen, but we travel Europe and North America. Very cool, very cool. So uh, I had a look at your website. I think there's already like 20 investments that you listed, but you just mentioned yeah. 24. Maybe for our yeah. listeners, uh, give us a bit of an insight on what are the business you typically invest in, who are they, or maybe I don't know. Do you have favorites? Uh, I do have favorites. Uh, personally, <laughs> I like the Germans, uh, so so I have a flavor for that. No, I think what I look for, right? Uh, I look for the founders. 60 per, 60% of the success for a startup is basically the founders. Uh, there is a business plan set up early stage uh, of where a startup wants to go. Uh, we all know that startups, they pivot. Uh, I'm also very focused on not directing startups for something that is just specifically a, a Musk problem. So I would say, you know, where I get the most strategic benefit and what we have also looked at is, is uh, what I mentioned before, road freight forwarding, right? We have done due diligence on Sender. We have done due diligence on InstaFreight. Uh, we have invested in uh, in in, uh, in fleet uh, the end-to-end uh, food logistics company, and and I think it, it it that interests me deeply. I have a burning desire for for trucking. I think the uh, sustainability part of the decarbonization thing, right? If we basically could have no empty moves in Europe from a full truckload perspective, we would reduce carbon emission by 10% in Europe. Uh, and and that is a problem. Uh, I have also joined leaders for action uh, for climate action, uh, and have, uh, have and have been part of setting that up in Denmark. Uh, it is an immense problem, and 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 just even looking down to the blue collared people, right, the ones that have to drive the trucks, they have a a not such a good life. And if we can help them uh, driving a truck from eight in the morning to, to five in the afternoon, being able to get home to their families uh, with a digital solution, then, then that's the way to go, right? So I have a flavor for, for solving blue, uh, the work of blue-colored people and then their sustainability in everything we do. Uh, and, and from a personal level, it's, it's a needed thing when I invest. Cool. Yeah, no, I can totally relate to that. Although I can only encourage you to look uh, further to Asia. As you know, I spend a lot of time there. I think there's a lot of innovative solutions, specifically in Southeast Asia as well. Um, have you have you spent some time there? Is that a focus area for, for you guys to grow your portfolio? We have seen a couple of uh, of startups from Singapore, especially uh, around you know the port of Singapore, uh, mm. and and we see uh, investments once in a while. We had foot on ground in uh, in China for uh, for three weeks. I, we used to have an operating partner called uh, Betty Liu. Uh, and what we learned from that is that we needed a significant amount of capital and significant speed to be able to participate in this deal in these deals uh, and it didn't match with the culture that we had at Merce growth at that point of time 
so we were also in our initial and starting phase setting up other structures and processes and so forth. Uh, but that is the key learning. But we will always co-invest. So, you know, good investors that comes with something from, from Asia, we will look at and, uh, and, and do the due diligence needed to decide whether it's, uh, it's something that we should invest in. Yeah, I know. And I mean, yeah, I can, I can very much relate to it. You know, uh, starting in Singapore versus China already makes a difference to your valuation. And we probably see the same in Germany versus US, but you said you also invest in the US. How do you feel about, you know, what some people call the valuation gap between these continents? Yeah, there's so much capital available uh, in the world today. Uh, I think venture capital has a history in, uh, in North America. Uh, mm. The funds are larger. Hence, the way they deploy money, it needs to be in larger rounds and, and valuations are, are increasing over time. There is an increased valuation gap, but there's also a large market in the US. Uh, and when especially looking into exits, uh, the, a lot of the buyers are in North America when you do a digital startup. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a promoter of, uh, of, of helping the European startup scene and also help Europe to keep its, uh, keep the, the companies created in Europe and Europe. I think that's, that's a nice part because the whole world will benefit of, of having talent all over the world. That's also why we are discussing Africa. We are discussing, should we set up a shop in Africa? Uh, yeah. to help them get started. So I think we, we have a very global approach. Uh, we have a lot of freight uh, from Africa and hence the focus on there also, uh, where we have not done an investment yet, but would like to. We, are, we have done uh, investments in New York and, and Silicon Valley, right? So, so we know a lot of co-investors there and are fairly comfortable. So when we see something interesting, we, uh, we also tend to, uh, to invest if it's reasonable. So for anyone listening, if they're considering opening up their own startup, what would be your recommendation location-wise? Where should they go? Where should they go and set up for you guys to be attractive for you specifically? Uh, I think they should set up in a place where they have access to talent. Uh, I remember uh, coming to Berlin in 2008 and thinking, you know, what am I doing in Berlin, right? There's no real talent here. It was a different scene at that point of time. Uh, but but Berlin has definitely proven me wrong. Uh, so as long as you, as as you make sure that uh, you have access to the talent, and with COVID here, right? Who knows how the future is going to look like? So I think yeah. there's a lot to to be done around just building your culture in a in a work from home uh, situation. So I think I'll pro I'm learning a lot uh, in these months and and looking forward to see how how startups are going to work in the future. But you know. Make sure you have access to talent, most important. And, and, you know, keep building your own private network. That's the that's the best recommendation I can give. Yeah, yeah I, I can very much relate to that too. Uh, thanks for sharing. Maybe looking back at the investments that you made, I think one thing that you mentioned, of course, uh, the founders matter. What else matters uh, for Mersco Invest? What's the deal size, the valuation? Um, what's the other uh, checkboxes that you guys have before you feel comfortable investing? Yeah. So uh, we invest uh, tickets up to $5 million. Uh, we start all the way down at, at $500K. Um, and we do invest out of, a, out of the balance sheet and, and on an annual budget. We're just reviewing those numbers now 
because uh, what we talked about before, right, the valuation gap round sizes are increasing, valuations are increasing. So the model we're working out of uh, needs to be changed. But I think, you know, we would like to be able to do a couple of investments within our own mandate since we have our own investment committee. Uh, so the core is not interfering with our decisions. But when we go above the $5 million mark, like we did in Forto and like we did in Smart. It is with a direct link to our company CEO uh, that will decide up to $50 million tickets. So I think there, there, there's a good flavor of what we can do. I like to get in early, uh, but with some kind of proof. Uh, so Seed Series A is, is key. Uh, it is challenging when we do Series A investments in the, in the US because they tend to look like a European B. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's it's easier for us in Europe at the moment because there we can can basically uh, match uh, what what other uh, venture capitalists are doing. And when you invest, then probably also giving the ticket sizes that you just mentioned follow on is relatively secure, or at least that's one would imagine if uh, Maersk is on yeah. board, right? Yeah, we will follow uh, follow our winners and follow our strategic winner, winners. We work with a simple portfolio model, just like any other uh, VC, right? So, so we will we will sort the portfolio in 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 kind of you know what is on target, what is above target, uh, and where can we assist and where can we help. Also, so we basically you know assist where it's meaningful. Uh, that is what you get with uh, with a Musk, right? Uh, and I think everything starts up being a star. We only invest in stars. Otherwise, there's, uh, there's no need to invest. Yeah, understandable. And I remember meeting you at an event, uh, which was great. So we all know that events are rare to come by or not entirely safe these days. Uh, yeah. Where do you go hunting for new deals or how do they find you? What's the best way for founders to approach you maybe? Um, so basically looking... All the way back to 2007, I have only seen two companies that have been inbound mm -hmm. with no uh, network to the partners that I have worked for previously or, or today, right? So normally it's through people you meet or know uh, and always with a reference. I think we met at, uh, I think it was uh, a smaller conference in, uh, in, in Germany. Yeah. Uh, and and but but where we do go is uh, Noah. Uh, we go to Slush. Uh, we go to a lot of the conferences in the US. Uh, we also go to the nice event in uh, Munich around Oktoberfest, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we we are out there, but but it is through dialogue with venture capitalists and through dialogue with founders. I think everybody in the VC industry, they know, right, when we speak to somebody, you know, then you should ask the question, you know, who should I meet that I do yeah. not know? Of uh, course. And, and likewise for a founder, right? When you speak to people, who is it that I should meet that I don't know? And that is the curiousness that, that we all should, should have in this industry. So warm introduction it is. And I think uh, most of the uh, people out there thinking to start their business get connected to the founders because I think uh, what was probably also fair to say, it's a two-way dating um, way, no? where uh, you get to know the businesses. But of course, it's also important um, for them to hear a little bit about you on how you um, deal with um, 
yeah, maybe also challenges that come up in the businesses. And I think quite lately, it's been probably a challenging time for all of us, not just uh, because we all have to work from home and we don't get to meet interesting new candidates, potential uh, hires, but also new investors at events. We have to do it from home. So maybe uh, you can share a little bit with us. Uh, how did COVID uh, impact the investments that you made? Um, what happened to your portfolio? And maybe also how um, could Mass come and, and help support? Um, what were the developments of the last month? So I think everybody was shocked in uh, in March when uh, when COVID started rolling uh, through Europe. Uh, it was challenging times. We're looking at the capital available. Uh, everything was on hold uh, and then in May we started seeing most of our portfolio take off because it is uh, it is digital investments within transportation and logistics many of them uh, so they really really started to grow a lot uh, we had a couple that were dependent on on normal trade uh, and they basically stalled uh, and are struggling within those companies we have offered our financial support uh, we have had companies like uh, Forto, uh, Loadsmart, also Rolfred Forto in New York raising significant rounds and significant valuation uplifts uh, at the end of the year and, and, and it's just a super, super strong uh, portfolio at the moment. Uh, it, uh, we are reporting uh, as a normal VC to, uh, to the Maersk uh, executive leadership team. So we are following the, uh, the Invest in Europe uh, reporting guidelines and the valuation increases are, are higher than that I've seen in, in my past work, right? So, you know, I'm, the, the only thing that, 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 that is maybe a risk of, uh, of 2021 is that when we look at the startups that should have been created in the midst of 2020, mm -hmm. uh, creating seed rounds that should be out raising now uh, in the next couple of quarters, right? I'm looking into a period with that might be a little bit dry for us and, and, and let's see what happens, right? And that is, in my opinion, will trigger, you know, even higher rounds and even higher valuations and then the, the company's raising. Uh, but 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 COVID did definitely did something to us uh, and, and and we have not seen the last effects of that yet. And probably maybe there was also a push for digitalization at Mask. Uh, did that increase the amount of collaboration between uh, your startups and the core business? Did you see any shift there? Yeah, I think I've seen a little bit, you know, more more willingness to try out, uh, you know, different new solutions. It was also a very, very scary scene that Maersk looked at in, in March, right? Because, you know, uh, all trade basically stopped. We looked at pictures in the ports in, in China, right? Where containers were stacked up, uh, even trucks were stacked up uh, and, and we didn't know what to expect. And then going out of a 2020 with very, very strong performance for, from Maersk, right? Because basically the, the quotes increased and increased and increased and it didn't stop. Uh, and even today, Maersk is basically moving our vessels with a 
up to mass, maximum uh, capacity uh, not seen for a very very long time and did it increase adoption maybe of like innovative services i mean all of yeah. our startups are usually super keen to get corporate partners to assign a deal to kind of get over the difficulties of procurement and so on do you feel masses maybe also readier to try out new things uh, maybe only with your portfolio companies or also outside of your portfolio so within our own portfolio, we have done two white labeling solutions. Basically, uh, it's uh, it's different digital solutions, uh, one in, in your own space uh, and then one uh, in, in, uh, in road freight forwarding. Uh, but we also see pilots with uh, non-MERS growth portfolio companies. It's basically part of my work. So when I'm out speak, speaking to startups uh, and evaluating them, it might not be a clear uh, investment case, but might be something that MERS should partner with. Uh, and that is where we again play into this value creation team. We, we basically let these companies over to the value creation team and make sure that introductions are, are made for uh, for these companies. I think when, when we look at Maersk and what we really want, we have so much trade going on on our own homepage, uh, Maersk.com, uh, and we want to integrate more and more companies in there with different SaaS solutions. So, you know, a modify could be a, a path to, to the next uh, thing to be seen on, on Merce.com, for example. Um, so, so, yeah, we pilot, we partner, we do a lot of stuff. Cool. And uh, yeah, for any startup out there that would love to collaborate with Mass but hasn't made it into your portfolio yet or is not raising, um, what do you think is the best way to engage, to, to get into it, to sign up Mask as a client or partner? I think it's always good to come in with a reference, right? Uh, we also spoke a little bit about network before. So if you come yeah. in with a reference, it's it's a lot easier. Right? I think it's uh, it also depends on what you do. We have been very active in the procurement space lately. Uh, and we have a very, very digital uh, procurement department in, in Maersk. And they tend to love to do, you know, interactions with startups to, to learn more, to make sure that most procurement is of high standard. Mm -hmm. So it's also a little bit dependent on, on where you do. I think we interact as much as we can with, with e-com startups. Uh, very, very interesting to see, again, the problems that, that the most customers have. Can we solve them with, uh, with, with your own company, right? Pass and perform, that, that is yeah. just super interesting, right? Uh, so, so always, you know, always we would love, and and you can, for example, reach out to me, and I'll be happy to help. Cool. Yeah, and from personal experience, I also know it usually helps to warm up one of the MERS customers as as your client, <laughs> and then that's an easier way into it. Yeah? <laughs> definitely, definitely easier. We spoke about uh, founders that you support and, of course, the right business model. Um, of course, I have one very obvious question. Um, me giving, uh, being a female in the log tech industry uh, and uh, I'm still considered rare, uh, according to most of the people I'm speaking with. How do you see diversity in, uh, in logistics, uh, in, with maybe within Mask? Uh, I spoke to one of your colleagues and there was a great article, but also maybe within your portfolio investments. I think, you know, we have tried to create uh, 
more information and communication around women in logistics. Mm-hmm. It's probably not as sexy uh, as space yet. Uh, you know, uh, when we look at at some of our food sustainability investments that we did early on in 2018, there are definitely a lot more female founders in there. But but diversity is something that needs to be in there. We are just improving our legal documents now. We want reporting on uh, on sustainability. We want reporting on diversity. It is something that I look for because I do believe that the better teams, they take diversity into consideration also at a C level. Uh, it is when you go back and look at the financial crisis back in 2007 and eight. The better performing uh, teams coming out strong from that had women in their C level, uh, so I think it's just it's it's a, it's a fact. It's something that we need. It needs to be there. Uh, we're looking for it. Uh, and and if you are a female founder within logistics, then you need to call me. You, you have high priority. <laughs> Very good, very good. Please also call me. I can help with an introduction. Uh, I'd love to see more of us in the industry. Uh, but yeah, you also said uh, logistics sometimes doesn't seem so sexy. Yeah, I, I tend to differ. I, I found a way to make parcel tracking very exciting to me and a majorly uh, female team uh, within Parcel Perform. But uh, what do you think, what else can we do to, to make the industry sexy? I mean, you're basically at the starting point for growth, for innovation. Uh, how do you feel? How can we attract more talent in general um, uh, into the industry? I think if we just speak to the venture or to the startup ecosystem as such, I think it's uh, it's something that we need to speak to our daughters about. So mm-hmm. I'm the happy father of, uh, of three daughters uh, and they definitely get introduced to the startup scene through me. Uh, I think it's uh, it's speaking also to the risk you take. It seems to be in the old days something that that was only for for white men, uh, and that mm-hmm. is totally wrong. Uh, I think when you look at it, there's also everything around the networking piece where I think women are, and men are mingling more, but not a lot. So it is. It is basically, um, you know, helping out the female founders were, when they are there, giving them the same chance uh, as the as men, right? And it should be there, right? And I think in these uh, Me Too times, and especially what's going on in Denmark, right? I think we are on a good track to get more diversity, uh, making it more equal for for everybody. Uh, and and that is also why the the reporting is needed in there as a first step, and I do also think that we see uh you know limited partners really having a focus on this, so mm. we just need to keep on speaking about it. Do you actually have a female partner at Mass Growth? Uh, our managing partner Shireen mm. uh, is female, twenty five years of uh, sales experience in in Maersk, Right, she's from uh, she's from Egypt. Uh, really, really happy to to have her onboarded here in uh, in December uh, as the new lead of uh, of Merce Growth. Uh, so super excited about that. We have two female analysts uh, also, uh, and and still hiring. I think there's six to eight females on our teams, right? So it's uh, it's uh, I think it's a good diversity in Merce Growth. 
Yeah, that's a great trajectory. Uh, yeah, whatever we can do to support that, I'm on board. Um, maybe looking looking ahead a little bit. Um, did you see now in times of COVID, uh, we saw a lot of businesses changing uh, business models, um, you know, scaling, pivoting. What are the trends that you see for, for the next year? What are the hot parts of the industry, of course, within logistics and the supporting system? But what's the cool and upcoming stuff that you are excited about that you feel people should invest in and keep an eye out for? I think we had a good discussion. Uh, I had a discussion with my colleague Olaf, Oliver Finch here over the last couple of weeks. So a lot of venture capital money has gone into logistics and it feels like we have shaken the tree, right? And all the ripe fruits have fallen out. Uh, and we're kind of, you know, what, what is the next coming up? Uh, I think it's clear that logistics has not been digitized fully. Uh, I am looking for interesting startups that will tell me when decisions are being made. So is it the procurement department that is in control of the actual full truckload move? Is it the return logistics company that will create the next uh, sell to the customer mm -hmm. because they disrupt the way that logistics has return logistics has been done in the past. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for these interesting startups that have a new way of attacking existing problems. I think I, I looked at uh, TradeLink in Munich and, uh, and Byways in Berlin that are creating uh, the control tower for warehousing. Right. And it basically disrupting how warehousing is, uh, is done in the old fashioned way. So if we can get digitization into solving manual uh, problems, I think that that is where I'm looking. And I'm looking deeper and deeper and it's becoming more and more techy. Uh, so so that, that is where we're going. But, but uh, I'm not sure where it will come, uh, but I know it will come. So more the asset light models is of course also easier on your investment, isn't it? Yeah, but but uh, I think we did an investment in a micro-fulfillment company in the UK called uh, Hubu. Uh, and it's it's combining assets with uh, digitization because uh, also just looking at Merck, right, we have 750 vessels around the world. Uh, you can't really do ocean logistics without owning the vessels. It's It's difficult to do parts of warehousing if you don't own the warehouse. So for me, I'm seeing the return of a little bit more asset-heavy investments. I would okay. not say that I would push for them, but, but I see them out there and I'm not afraid of them. I'm not a classical VC going for a SaaS product with 80% margin. I do invest in, in, in the photos of the world with... Uh, with uh, low double-digit uh, margins, right? Uh, and 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 I'm not afraid of that risk. I'm not. Good. That's encouraging news for everyone out there because logistics in general um, always has the downside of an issue with your margins unless you go very tech-heavy, like you said, right? Yeah, and the good part when you look at logistics is that the market size is so much bigger, right? And that is just you're, you're creating, a, you know, still... Uh, a, a huge potential and as I'm saying to, to a lot of people I'm not putting percentages in the bank I put euros in the bank 
Yeah, you rather have uh, a small margin, but a lot of that, yeah? <laughs> yeah, totally agree. We, we, we talked about uh, investments and I think uh, one of the few buzzwords that are usually mentioned in that, uh, in that range, uh, at least cover automation, cryptocurrency, blockchain. How do you feel about these? Is that uh, the cool next stuff? Is the logistics industry ready for it? Yeah, yeah. So, so Merge Growth created uh, or was part of creating Tradelands, which is our uh, our blockchain investment in Merck. In uh, it was a collaboration with uh, IBM to start with, and I see a lot of interesting pieces around securing where our goods coming from and where they going to. So, so super eager about uh, about that. The only challenge is that I see it work within a limited frame, um, and 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 I think you know my dream of uh, of the technology is that that is the disruption for the internet. So I think I have huge uh, dreams for for the future and and what technology can bring. Automation in general, yes, uh, it is needed. Uh, robots are, are needed to do specific work. Uh, we have also looked at that, and, and I think self-driving trucks for me is something that is needed. You know, there's a lack of fifty thousand truck drivers in in Germany alone, right? So we need whether it's uh, platooning or fully automated trucks. I don't know. But it is needed, and 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 you asked me about the buzzword before, right? That might be electrification of the world. Uh, we will see this decarbonization uh, happening, uh, and electricity seems to be a, a possible way forward. Okay, so for everyone listening, when you have a startup in that area, it's time to get a warm introduction to Jeppe and uh, surely then get his attention and drive. Yeah, what hopefully is the future of technology and logistics. I think having a partner like Mass Grove by your side uh, certainly is extremely helpful. Um, with that, I want to end today's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeppe. Thanks for being so open. And yeah, we look forward to many more of your investments and your support of the startup infrastructure and the scene. Thank you so much, Jeppe. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. That was the Logistics Tribe podcast episode with Jeppe Hoyer from Mares Growth. I hope you liked today's show. Please consider giving us a positive review on iTunes and please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. We have an impressive roster of guests and topics coming up, I promise. I'm Boris Felgentreer. Until next time. Mm-hmm.